Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for who you are, for your eternal power, for your limitless love for us, for, for the grace that you continue to extend to us uh, through all circumstances. When we are struggling, when we are celebrating, uh, when we are hurting, Lord, you are there through it all. And we give you thanks and praise for all of your goodness. Lord, as we turn our attention to your word, we pray that you would be revealing yourself to us, that we would hear your voice, that we would be open to the things that your spirit is trying to say to us today. And that in that, that we would then be changed by your love, by your grace, and by your power. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If there are any of the kids that want to go and uh, for Sunday school, Queen Denise is leading you in that direction. You really want to bring your chair along with you so you got some place to sit other than on the floor. And for the rest of us, we're going to be turning our attention to Titus chapter 3, which Wendy read for us earlier. Of eternal life. 
As you're listening to that, just read through that again in your scriptures and, and point out the place, the role that we play in this salvation process. Where, where does it talk about how we are able to, to play a part in being saved? It's a trick question, you won't find it. Paul is being very clear here that our salvation is completely the work of God. It is in His goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior, our redeeming God. What a beautiful picture, description of who God the Father is, that He is the redeeming God. When you go through uh, the Old Testament, you see that time and time again that our God is a redeeming God. In fact, that is uh, when, when Moses in, encounters God there at the burning bush and the people are asked and, and he asks who he should tell the people, who should he say sent them? God says, Yahweh, I am. I have sent I am is the one who has sent you. And then later on, when, when Moses has gone to, uh, to Egypt, and declared to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh has said, and then increases the amount of work for the slaves, the, the, the Israeli slaves that are there in, in the nation. <laughs> Moses goes back to God and says, why? Weren't they suffering enough that you would then send me to Pharaoh to increase their sorrow? And God says, I am. I am has sent you, and I will release my people, and I will show my power through Herod's, uh, not Herod's, Pharaoh's hardness of his heart. And God reveals himself that, that this is the name that he will be known by, Yahweh, I am, because he is a redeeming God. Every time we read, whenever the people of, of the, uh, the Jewish faith, the Hebrews, came across that, uh, that four letters, the four Hebrew letters, Yahweh, they understood that that meant God, our redeeming God. That's who he revealed himself as. That's who he wanted to be known by. That was the name by which he declared himself. Paul picks up on that here in Titus and says, the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior. Our redeeming God, that's who the Father is. He saved us. Not because of works that we have done in righteousness. Paul wants to be very clear. It's not because of the good things that we have done in our lives. That is not to dismiss the good things that we have done in our lives. But that is not what makes us worthy of salvation. It is 
wholly, exclusively, unconditionally because of the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior. He saved us. And then he goes on to, to create this wonderful Trinitarian picture. How each one of the members of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, play a part in our salvation. God the Father, He is our Savior, and He saved us. How? Not through our righteousness, but by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God sends the Holy Spirit into our life to wash us. To take all of those things that he talked about before, our foolish, disobedient, being led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, so on and so forth. The Holy Spirit washes us of all of those sinful nature tendencies and regenerates us so that we are no longer defined as sinners separated by God, but instead we are clothed in the righteousness of God. We have been reborn, renewed, regenerated into the very image and the likeness of our Savior Jesus Christ. So we have this picture of God the Savior, Yahweh, sending the Holy Spirit to regenerate, to wash us, to make us new through the outpouring of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Each one of the members of the Trinity active in our salvation. That it is through His sacrifice that the Holy Spirit is able to wash us new. It is the blood of Christ utilized by the Holy Spirit in our lives that, that, that cleanses us from our sin nature and makes us reborn in His image. And through the act of this Trinitarian God, this triune community, this, this divine community of love, we are justified by His grace that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. In this life we have been made new, but we also have this wonderful hope one day we will be in his presence for all of eternity, glorified in his image. To, to be able to, to carry out the purpose for which we have been created. To proclaim and lead all of creation into worship of God. And that for all of eternity we will be able to point to all the things that God has done to rescue us who were his enemies. It's a wonderful picture. It's a wonderful description of what salvation is all about. I am now going to make Titus one of my go-to places to talk about salvation because it is all here. That's what God does. He changes us. Have you ever seen somebody change 
by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing, and, and there are there are so many stories, but one of one of the big ones that stick out in my head was a a young man that that, that we grew up with. He was actually my older brother's age, so three three years or so older than I was. I guess four years, maybe. Anyway, he was older than I was. But we would play football together. I knew him very well, and he was uh, very well-known in our, in our community, the schools and stuff. His family was well-known as people that were... Um, they lived life fully. I don't know, fully. He was, he was a partier. He loved to party and, and got into all of those kinds of activities that were, that were centered around that whole idea. Even as a, as a young man, uh, he was very much involved in all of that. He, he was not a, 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 a mean, cruel person for the most part. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he lived a rough life and his family lived a rough life. And it was when he was 18, uh, there was an opportunity. Our church was using a, a program called uh, Inter, uh, uh, shoot, Evangelism Explosion, EE. Some of you will have been familiar with that program. Being able to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people in the neighborhood. And, and this young man was one of the ones who interacted with one of the teams about that. And in that in that setting, he realized his brokenness before God. Turned his life around, gave his life to Jesus Christ. And suddenly this young man who lived life with such passion for pleasure, in an instant became a man who lived his life with a passion for Christ. And, and he, he had this, this platform being so well-known and so well-connected with the rest of the young people in our community. He became a, a, an agent of transformation for people, for teens in our area. He told everybody about Jesus. And, and it was like an overnight transformation. All of those things that he used to be completely fell off and suddenly he became this new, this new man. And I remember as a young man being challenged, knowing that I had grown up in the church all my life and yet seeing how this young man had been transformed and being challenged in my own life to think I was not measuring up to his standard. He had gone so much further than I did in his relationship with Christ in that fast. It was just amazing. He was in his Bible all the time and pouring over Scripture. And, and the most amazing part of all of this is he is now the pastor of that church that I grew up in, in Edmonton. Has been pastor there for 16 years. What an amazing ministry that he has. In his neighborhood, where he grew up, 
with all of the people that he knew that, that still live around in that area, all those young guys that he used to party with who now are in their 50s with grandchildren and children of their own. And he is still there in the community building those relationships and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. It is an amazing story. That's what Jesus does. He changes lives. He makes us new. He takes us from this, this place of being foolish and disobedient and slaves to various passions and pleasures and passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another, and makes us into the likeness of Christ, producing the fruit of the Spirit of love, hope, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, and there's another one in there, meanness. Pardon? Faithfulness, there we go. Revealing all of those fruits of the Spirit. And yet we, we still need to be reminded. And this brings us back to the first verse of this passage. That even though we have been regenerated, we've been renewed by the Holy Spirit from the outpouring of, of Jesus Christ and our Savior who, who has justified us by His grace. Verse 1. Remind them. Even in that place of being transformed by Jesus Christ, we need to refocus our attention on Him. We need to, to allow His Holy Spirit to move us towards activities and behaviors and, and, and attitudes that reflect Christ. And these are challenging, challenging words for us. Um, because the, what Paul is describing here, what he is, what he is instructing Titus to remind the Cretans about and, and by extension reminding us about are in many ways countercultural to the society that we are living in right now. The things that are being described here, I see and in myself and in, in other Christians that these are character traits that we have slipped into and have allowed the world to influence us and to move us so that we are reflecting these things rather than pursuing the behaviors and attitudes that Titus, that Paul is reminding Titus here. Let's look at these again. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. It is so easy to point to those people who are in positions of authority. To point out all of their weaknesses, all of their shortcomings, all of the things that we disagree with them about. And justify for ourselves why we can be disrespectful to them. Because of the things that we disagree about with them. 
lives that we need to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Those who are in positions of, of authority over us. Because that's There are so many becauses. It's because they've been placed there by God. And they hold that position with the ordination of God on their lives. That's hard to accept when people who are in positions of authority make bad choices. And I struggle with this in, on so many different levels. People w within political positions of authority, people that I have worked for who were in employment positions of authority, people that I have, have been in relationship with who are in positions of authority within the church, It is hard when those people are, are clearly, in my mind, making mistakes for me to become disrespectful, disobedient. And Paul is encouraging us to be submissive to people in those roles. One thing that I have learned from having limited opportunity of being in a position of authority in different layers. There is so much more going on than what other people underneath them are aware of. We need to give grace to the decisions being made by people who are in authority over us because often they are making decisions based on information that I do not have. And if I have the same kind of information that they have, some of the decisions that I would make would, would be very much along the same lines. We need to be careful of being judgmental and disrespectful, never disrespectful of those who are in authority. Absolutely to challenge and hold them accountable to disobey when they are calling us to do things that are uh, opposite to what Scripture has said for us. But to do that in a way that is respectful, that is honoring of them and their position that God has put them in. We need to be ready for every good work. We need to speak evil of no one. So that takes it from this place of criticizing those that are in authority over us to also the people that we are on the same peer level with. Social media just just draws that on us, doesn't it? There is so much of the vitriol that goes on in those settings. And it is so easy to get caught up in throwing out sarcastic remarks, caustic names that we would call people. 
to behind people's back to talk about their mistakes and their weaknesses and the things that they do poorly. Paul wants us to be reminded that we are to speak evil of no one. The, the, the word, the Greek word that's being used there is to, to, towards no one blaspheme. Which brings it on a whole other level of, of um, uh, speaking against God. When we are speaking evil of other people, we are speaking of a divine image bearer. Somebody who is made in the image of God, broken as it might be, distorted and twisted as it may be. We are speaking against God when we speak evil of one another. We need to avoid that. To avoid quarreling. Oh, again. It is so easy to get caught up in, in quarreling and arguing over minutia, over foolish things, over little things. That is not the character of Christ. To be prone to quarreling. Instead, we are called to be peacemakers. Now again, that doesn't mean that we agree with everything that everybody says. We're totally in our right to stand up for what is truth. But you know that there's a great difference between coming alongside someone and bringing a, a, a divine correction and a rebuke. Very different from being a quarreler. Somebody who just stirs things up. Somebody who is more intent on being right than they are intent on being loving and seeing change happen. We need to avoid being quarreling. We need to be gentle. We need to show perfect courtesy towards all people. You look through each one of those things that he is talking about. It's all about relationships. Part of that, I'm sure, comes from uh, the, the context of what he's speaking into, right? You remember when we looked at the character of the Cretans, the people that Titus was serving how they were uh, identified as insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. And in that kind of a context, you can see how it would be easy to be speaking evil of others, to be quarreling, to be disrespectful to those people who are in, in authority. But even in the midst of this culture that was so contentious, that Paul was rebuking, he calls us to have an attitude of love. And that's really what it comes down to. That in all of our relationships, it doesn't matter who we are connecting with, that we are called to first love them. 
when we love our leaders, our rulers, we're able to be submissive and to honor and not disrespectful. When we love our neighbors, those that are around us, it's much easier to avoid quarreling, to, to stop speaking evil of them, to, to be courteous in all areas, in all circumstances. That is the people who we must be. Because that is the very character of God. Last week we sang that song. Um, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. He is good to all and has compassion on all that he has made. There are so many places through the Old Testament where that description of God comes up again and again. It's a, a description that he gives of himself, that he is slow to anger and rich in love. That's who he is calling us to be. Paul, in his, uh, second, in his le second letter to the uh, church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, um, we get a picture of this is who we are to be. It says, And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that, into that same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, is spirit. That description of God being gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love, good to all. That is what he is making us to be. How does that happen? Look at this passage again. We all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord. Our being transformed. The more that we focus our attention on the beauty and the wonder of God, as we put ourselves in a place where we can immerse ourselves in His presence, in His character, in His nature, we will then be transformed. You notice that it doesn't say that as we are beholding the glory of the Lord, that we are transforming ourselves into His image. It is a passive, something that is being done to us. We are being transformed. God is the one who does the work. It says there, this comes from the Lord. He's the one who transforms our heart. If we're to be able to be reminded and, and live up to this, description of these relationships that, that Paul talks about here in Titus. It's going to happen as we spend more and more time with our Lord. Spending time in His Word. 
hearing his voice speak to us through what has been written and passed down to us through the church. Spending time in prayer. In, in thanksgiving. In worship. In praise of him. And also being quiet and listening to what he would say in those moments. Spending time with other believers in fellowship, talking about our relationship with God, sharing with one another of how God is working in our lives, challenging one another, rebuking and correcting one another, encouraging one another, building each other up, bearing each other's burdens. When we're in those kinds of relationships that are intentionally costly, self-sacrificing, God speaks to us there. And then when we're serving others, that's where we meet God. That's where we are in His image and are, are seeing His glory with unveiled faces. That's where we are being transformed into His likeness more and more from, from steps of glory to glory. I'm grateful for Paul's words here. It's a reminder of things that we shouldn't be. The things that we should be pursuing. And it needs to bring us to that place of saying, Oh Lord, I need your help. Let's do that now. Heavenly Father, we need your help. I cannot live up to this standard that you have set. It goes so much beyond who I am. I need your spirit to come do that ongoing work of sanctification, of cleansing my heart, of removing that sin as, as we had in the drama, chiseling away at those sins in my life so that I become more and more in your image. Would you help us as, as a church, as a, as a family, to immerse ourselves more and more in your presence. To be, uh, to be reminded of the things that we need, the activities, the behaviors, the attitudes that we need to be pursuing. So that as we live our lives out in this world, people will see us, but they will be seeing you. When we draw into that place of knowing you, Father, would you transform us so that we can then be those agents of transformation in other people's lives. This world desperately needs you. Our community needs you. Our province needs you. Our nation needs you, Lord. Our world is desperate for you. And as your people, we surrender ourselves. Say, by your plans and purposes, and by the work of your Holy Spirit, change us and make us more like.